My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. The title of my sermon this morning is Recompense, and I will be preaching primarily from the passage we heard from Revelation chapter 22, verses 10 through 15. On May 11th in 1960, a team from the Israel Security Agency apprehended a man and wound up smuggling him out of Argentina instead of going through official government channels to have him extradited. This man was the SS Nazi officer Otto Adolf Eichmann. Eichmann oversaw the deportation of the Jews in Hungary to the camps where most of them were killed. And he was able to avoid capture by moving to Argentina. One of the people who facilitated his capture was a man named Simon Weisenthal, who had found out that Eichmann had been seen in Argentina and gave that information to the Israeli government. Eichmann was tried and sentenced to death by hanging, which was carried out on June 1st, 1962. The fighting in Germany had ended in 1945, and Eichmann was not executed until 17 years later. It took a long time for him to experience the recompense that was his due. And unfortunately, in this world, sometimes there's a long period of waiting for justice to be done. And sadly, there are many in this life who will never receive justice. However, even if many escape justice in this life, they will not escape it in the age to come. Referenced here in the reading from Revelation chapter 22. Everyone will receive recompense for what they have done. Everyone. When we remember the original context for the book of Revelation, and plug, 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 if you join us on Wednesday nights, we're actually reading through it and teaching through it. Uh, we just finished a letter for, to two of the seven churches, so join us on Wednesday at 6 for fellowship, followed by class at 6.30. It helps us to interpret it apart from the wild speculations that many have fallen into over the centuries. St. John expects this book to be read and understood, hence the inclusion of the command to not seal up the words of the book because the time is near. In other words, what I'm telling you is about to break out, and it did. The focus is on the imminent return of the Lord and how that is going to play out in the lives of those who do evil and those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Hence the call for the evildoer to still do evil and the righteous to still do right. These words are not meant to be a justification for sinners to keep sinning. St. John keeps the door open for repentance. In light of those who do evil and continue to do evil, the recipients of the letter of Revelation and us today are to repent and to live in a way that is pleasing to Almighty God. Because those who do not do so are those who live outside of the gates of the heavenly city. 
So this would have been very encouraging to those to whom it was written as it lays out the eternal destinies of those who were persecuting them, those who were impoverishing them, those who were killing and imprisoning them. Ultimately, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is dead and lives again, the one who reigns over all things, will return. And when he does, he will put everything wrong right. Those who escape justice in the here and now will answer in eternity. And believe me, that's a fate worse than life imprisonment. No one will get away with evil. No one. Even though there's a large cultural gap between ourselves and the burgeoning church of the first century, there are still commonalities. Instead of worshiping Caesar and the gods of Rome and Greece, we worship today at the feet of the state, or we worship at the feet of celebrity, or we worship at the feet of materialism. But those things that we worship make just as poor gods as the gods worshiped in the ancient world. But we as Christians may find ourselves coming to a point where persecution might be something that we will have to deal with. And sometimes when persecution begins, we often react by trying to accrue temporal political power. But that's not what life in Christ is all about. When Christ suffered persecution, and following his example, his church, when suffering persecution endured it in the way he endured the cross. And while we wait for divine justice, for divine recompense, there are a few things that we can do. God hears the cries of those who have been abused, and he will bring justice. There's several stories that are in the back of my mind this morning. Well, I should say at the front of my mind this morning. Very different. The first is, a report was released from a group of Christians detailing abuse that had gone on for decades in one of the largest denominations, one of the largest Protestant denominations in the country. Reports of abuse going unchecked and when reported not acted upon and then I'm also thinking in mind of the situation in Texas with the shooter in the elementary school we cry out to God for justice we cry out to God for recompense Now the Texas shooter, he may have escaped, well he may have experienced some degree of human justice. But what awaits him, the judgment of the Lord, will be worse than any of the consequences he would have faced had he survived. And the consequences of those who fostered and overlook and hid the abuse in that denomination they too will have to stand before the Lord and answer for what they have done but we also must keep careful brothers and sisters to not 
equate God's justice with human justice. We must never attach divine justice to human justice. They are not the same thing. But as we await recompense, one of the things that we can do is pray. And in our prayers, we can pour out our hearts to God. We can lay forth our doubts to God. We can even vent our anger to God. But we must not neglect the life of prayer. Prayer is something that sustains the Christian. And even in the midst of really terrible cultural situations, people saying, I'll pray for you, is now being ridiculed. As if prayer is somehow powerless. It is not. Prayer is something that sustains us as Christians. And in the book of Acts, the reading that we heard, Saints Paul and Silas, they are captured for preaching Jesus. And they are put in prison. And in the middle of the night, what does the text say that they did? It said that they prayed and they sang hymns to God. And it was there in that moment when they were divinely rescued. Now that doesn't mean in the middle of our own captivity to whatever it is that ails us that we will be free from it. But it does mean that when we experience suffering in that way, we will have a spiritual freedom that the world or those persecuting us can never take away. And indeed that spiritual freedom can even be evangelistic. St. Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 to 18, Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The second thing that we can do is endure. Matthew 24, 10 to 13 says, Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Endurance is difficult, but only those who endure to the end, Jesus said, will be saved. Only those who endure will win the crown of life. Endurance is possible only as we learn from the painful struggles of our lives. So if somebody wanted to be a, a, a runner or a dancer or a baseball player or a football player or a basketball player or something or a soccer player, one of the things you need to do is have good cardio. You need to be able to run for long periods of time. You need to be able to have enough strength to make it through your match or your competition. And if you were training for a long distance marathon, the last thing you would do is begin smoking a pack of cigarettes a day right before you went outside to run. The reason being, <laughs> smoking a pack of cigarettes before going out on a run would negate the health benefits you would receive from running and it would short circuit the training that you're doing. The smoker will not have endurance to finish 
a marathon to run their race to the end. Maybe when they're younger, but the damage that they will do will ultimately hamper their ability to push themselves harder and faster. And so too with the spiritual life. The third thing we can do is to live holy. St. Peter wrote, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. To be holy is to live apart from the ways of being as modeled by our culture, as modeled by our fallen world. By refusing to listen to what the world tells you in regard to how you should live your life. To refuse to listen to what the world tells you about what is right and what is wrong. By refusing to listen to all of the false messages that seek to pull us from life in Christ. And to model our lives then in the pattern of Christ's life. We are to have no part with those sins that the author of Revelation listed that kept people outside of the gates of the city. We are to have no dealings with those sins. And we are to put the death, the passions of the flesh that scripture says wage war against our souls. And in our day and age, we are told to indulge in just about anything we want in our quest for authenticity and self-authorship. And one of the things that we see, brothers and sisters, as we await the coming of our Lord, is that our response to suffering, our endurance, our response to evil done against us, can be evangelistic. In the story we heard read from the book of Acts, again, when Paul and Silas were freed from the prison... They did not run away and say, look at the sticky situation God got us out of. Let's beat it and go back to Antioch of Pisidia. That didn't happen. Because they knew if they would have run away, the jailer would have been killed. And so what do Paul and Silas do? They stay in the prison. Even though they have been freed, they stay there. And the jailer, seeing this, seeing what happened, said, what must I do to be saved? And St. Paul and Silas tell him. And then the jailer brings them to his house. And he is baptized. Not only he, but his entire family are baptized into Christ. The response to evil done against us can be evangelistic. The way we, we respond to the negative in our lives if we can take that and point that towards Christ, we will wind up finding healing for our own souls and helping people to find healing in their own. And ultimately, every single one of us at the return of our Lord, we will all give an account for what we have done. No one gets away with anything any evil done in secret, any abuse left unchecked, any act of violence or injustice, we will all be given 
we will all be brought before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for what we have done. But here's the difference. Those of us whose garments have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, we will be able to stand boldly, the author of Hebrews says, at the throne of grace. Those who have their garments washed in the blood of the Lamb will be ushered into the heavenly city to experience the joy of the Lord forever. And those whose garments have not been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Those who are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood will be kept outside of the city where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I apologize to you this morning, brothers and sisters, for such a little bit of a downer of a sermon. But I'm not going to apologize. Because oftentimes the hard words of Scripture need to be read and they need to be expounded upon. And we live in a culture that is so therapeutic that we oftentimes rush to find something to make us feel better instead of sit and think about reasons why we're uncomfortable in the first place. And so as faithful Christians, we acknowledge the fallenness of our world and we join with all Christians from the past and from the present and unite our voices with those in the future who say, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. And make everything right again. Because ultimately, there's no political bill that we can have passed. There's nothing that we can do that will bring about the justice of God. And the justice of God is the reordering of the world according to the design that he originally intended for it. And so as we await that day, let us do so with our garments washed in the blood of the Lamb and with the word of our testimony on our lips. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Zion's Stone Church. We're in the middle of a building repair campaign, and if you'd like to help, please go to www.gofundme.com slash Zion's Stone Church Repair Fund. We'd appreciate anything you'd be able to donate. If you're ever in the area, you're always welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 10.15 a.m. God bless you.